listening to the Testudo Times Podcast, the official podcast of SB Nation's Maryland Terrapins Colossus. And welcome to episode 43 of the Testudo Times Podcast, the Aw shucks, basketball season's actually over now edition. I'm joined by a couple of people. I've decided to use a new recording method while my recording software is still a pile of garbage. Uh, Alex Kirshner, our editor, leader of the site, is here. I heard we did really well during the NCAA tournament. There's actually somebody who said to me, I don't remember who it was, he said, we hope Maryland wins because this site, Testudo Times, does the most traffic, and if they win, then they're going to do a lot of traffic, even more than usual. Yeah, it was a successful time from that standpoint, but you know, the most important thing is that uh, hopefully people enjoyed it, and if they didn't, hopefully we'll do better for them next time, but it was, it was fun to cover uh, it mixed emotions that it's all over because I, I enjoy covering the tournament, but don't mind, uh, you know, getting a little little bit of relatively downtime. But you didn't actually go to Louisville, did you? I did not. We had Sun Mingo, and he was great. He was awesome, but you enjoyed the yeah. last couple of rounds of the tournament via hashtag couch journalism. I did. Yeah, I definitely did. I love couch journalism. It is one of the great advancements of the technological society in the 2010s. We're also joined by Ryan Connors, who hasn't really had a chance to put in his good word for the tournament and the end of this Maryland basketball season. So, Ryan, how sad are you that this team is done and Maryland basketball season, one of the most hyped in many years, is over? Well, I mean, yeah, obviously that part is sad, just the fact that they were so hyped. And, uh, uh, I don't know, going into this season, like, the, the idea of covering a team that could have gone that far was pretty exciting. And they would still went pretty far. Sweet 16 is still pretty far. Um, I'll, echo Alex, I'll echo Alex's statement that uh, it is nice to have a little bit more downtime, but uh, yeah, you know, happy, happy and sad. There's no downtime for me. I mean, I covered, I do this podcast, but now I've picked up with writing for other sites and we're getting into crazy soccer time and crazy hockey time, so there's never really downtime for me, but for you guys, maybe there's a bit more. So let's talk about this game, even though it's now a week old, the game against Kansas. You predicted, Alex that Maryland was going to win. The people on Rock Chalk Talk predicted that Maryland was going to win, and Maryland ended up getting blown out. What happened? Uh, the things that I thought Maryland would be able to do well didn't really happen. Uh, I think they also got uh, some pretty tough officiating breaks, and uh, I actually try to stay away from really criticizing officiating because it's very rare that it actually... You're the only person the on Twitter that does that. It, it didn't impact this one too much. I think Maryland would have lost anyway. Um, but I think the game got away from them faster than it, than it probably should have because of uh, some of the foul trouble that Diamond Stone and Robert Carter found themselves in, and particularly Stones. Uh, it wasn't entirely warranted, so that didn't help them very much. Uh, but more than that, I mean, they got crushed on the offensive glass uh, again. Uh, it wasn't That wasn't a problem that they were able to solve, and they, they didn't do... Uh, the kinds of things off of ball screens. They didn't have the kind of success for you know getting Miller Trimble free and having him make shots that I expected he'd be able to have, so that was that. I think the real big thing, well, after watching the way Villanova shut down Perry Ellis is, and my immediate thought watching that game was, if Diamond Stone was not in foul trouble the entire game, I wonder how different this game might have been. Ryan, would it have been demonstrably different? Uh, that's a tough call. I mean... That's certainly one part of it. I don't think that Diamond having Diamond Stone in the game necessarily like that necessarily turns everything around. Just because, uh, as our colleague Matt Eldrick has pointed out several times, sometimes the offense can stagnate a little bit when 
diamond is in the game just because he's sort of a, uh, you know, you get once you pass him the ball a lot of the time, you don't get it back. But uh, I think the biggest the biggest thing that jumps out to me, especially, is Maryland only had two double-digit scorers, which was Suleiman and Trimble, who had 18 and 17. But both of them were in combined three for 14 from three. So that was, uh, was definitely a big contribution to the loss. I believe the numbers from the Hawaii games and the Kansas games, like they made six total threes, I think, if my math is right. I think they were like six of yeah, that's, 43 that's from three or something like that, which is an insanely low number for two games. And it, if it continued, I mean, it would have been an unholy, horrible shooting number that, again, we talk a lot about regressing to the mean, and it would have regressed to the mean at some point, but that is a terrible stretch in two games. I want to talk, I guess, a bit about the officiating with somebody who doesn't like to talk about the officiating, Alex. It's been bad all NCAA tournament. Uh, there were some incredibly sketchy calls in that game. There were sketchy calls in the Elite Eight, too. Absolutely, it was mind-boggling how bad the officiating could be sometimes in this tournament. But th- I think the moment when you knew Maryland was kind of screwed when it came to the officiating was the technical call when Jake Lehman was hanging on the rim ostensibly to avoid landing on somebody. I know why that rule exists, but it was still a terrible call then. You kind of had a sense on that night that if the 50-50s aren't going to go Maryland's way, and that's still a 50-50 call about how long you have to hang on the rim before the officials tee you up. If those aren't going your way, then it's probably not going to be your night, and you need it to be your night with the officials when you're going against the number one team in the entire tournament. Oh, sure. You absolutely do. Um, but I think you just said just about everything that could be said about it. And, you know, they, they, they got a few breaks uh, that went against them, and that happened sometimes. And uh, I really can't add too much. And then when you're playing Kansas, you, you need those things to kind of break in your direction. They did not break in their direction. Uh, Maryland didn't get a lot of help from the 3, 4, and 5 spots. Jake Lehman didn't have one of his better games. Robert Carter had a really poor tournament, which is something I think we'll touch on in a bit when we're talking about the makeup of this team next year. Uh, and then Diamondstone got into foul trouble. We actually saw Michael Tchaikovsky for the first time in what felt like ever, which was kind of a, a surprise. Maryland usually has to have one of the three play really well if, in order for them to win. They had that against South Dakota State when Jake Lehman shot crazy well. Diamondstone had a pretty good game against... Hawaii, Jake Lehman had some issues, Robert Carter had issues the entire tournament, but none of them played well against Kansas, and that proved to be a problem. They got no help on offense, they also got no help on interior defense, clearly on Perry Ellis. The guards can only do so much, right, Ryan? Uh, yeah, I'd say that. I mean, Perry Ellis is obviously a very hard guy to defend, or else he wouldn't be one of the better scorers in college basketball, but uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know, like I already said before, I think, you know, if Suleiman and Trimble had great games, which they led the team in points by 10, pretty much, each of them. So it's hard to say that they necessarily had a bad game when not, no one on the team had a great game. But, uh, yeah, I'd say they'll go as far as the guards. They would have gone further if the guards had taken them further. But they scored 18 and 17 points, and no one else scored in double digits. So that's, I don't know. Everyone, everyone needed to contribute, and not everyone did. That's absolutely true. And I think what... It feels most regretful about that game as a Maryland fan is knowing that they were down by two at the half, and I didn't think they played particularly well at any moment. And to somehow go down into the half only by two against a Kansas team that was in cruise control for most of the season. They hadn't lost a game since January, and I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty now when you see what Villanova did to them. But, Alex, I mean, what there was that run where Kansas wasn't missing any shots, which obviously sucks. 
And then there was that run where Kansas was missing all of their shots. They were on like a three to four minute run where they didn't score. But Maryland couldn't chip into that lead. And that's when it kind of felt like the game was over. It was really an amalgam of all of the problems that Maryland basketball's had all season that kind of gotten away from them in the second half. And it's why the margin ended up looking the way it did. Because if you take a look at the betting Twitter, a lot of people were thinking the Turks were going to cover. And we don't encourage betting on this show, but that gives you a kind of idea that Vegas is right more often than it isn't. Yeah, absolutely. That was, I think that might have been part of, uh, of my optimism on Maryland's behalf, that Maryland could do well in that game, was the fact that the line started uh, at 7 and it was getting betted down right away. Um, so that definitely didn't do anything to deter uh, thoughts that Maryland might be able to do better than it did. I absolutely would say that. But also, when it's into the second half, I mean, what was the thing that got away from them the most? Because they were not playing great in the first half. And again, when you go down by two against a really good team, that says quite a lot when you're not playing well. And Maryland has a tendency to play poorly but never really get blown out. This was a team that did not get blown out of the gym very often. They played poorly, but they found a way to hang around most of the season. This is one of the few times this year where they were like, wow, they were outclassed. But they were only outclassed for like a five-minute stretch. Yeah, it's true. But I think what happened was just the dam finally broke. Uh, you know, the, and the foul trouble contributed to that. Uh, the, the fact that Perry Ellis can typically only be kept relatively in check for so long. Not that he had a poor first half. I mean, because he did make some shots, but, you know, he wasn't. Uh, he, I think he started the second half 5 of 5 from the field, and that was when the, that game sort of became the Perry Ellis game. Uh, and, you know, we, we saw in the next round when Kansas played Villanova that. Uh, there is a way to beat Kansas. You, know, you have to control their guards, which Maryland really didn't do very much of, uh, and you have to prevent Ellis from just going nuts. And uh, Maryland was not able to do those things, and uh, Villanova eventually was, and that's why Villanova's in the Final Four this week. I'm still surprised by how well Nova's played in this tournament, but that's another story entirely. Uh, Ryan, of all the players in the three tournament games, Mellow Trimble, I mean, he scored in double figures in every game, and he didn't have one of the breakout Mellow games from last year, even the North Carolina game, but I don't think, of course he could have done more, and he obviously wanted to do more, and Maryland fans wanted him to do more, but I, I don't think you can really blame it on him. I think, as I mentioned, Robert Carter had a really bad tournament. Diamond Stone was up and down. He was in foul trouble against Kansas. South Dakota State, he struggled. I think it was the inside that let Maryland down more than the outside in, in the dance. Do you know, you? Um... Yeah, I guess I'd agree with that. I mean, you would have loved to see in the tournament, I think they would have needed a Diamond Stone kind of just breakout performance where he could really dominate. But again, against a team like Kansas, that's not really going to happen. And against South Dakota State, they're playing really well, so well that it didn't matter for most of the game. And yeah, I guess I'd say they could have used better performance from the uh, big man. And it's, it's unfortunate. Robert Carter was having a solid season until the tournament. And, you know, DeMonte Dodd is still pretty much a defensive player. So, yeah, I think those are all those things are all kind of explainable. But, I, uh, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. I quickly want to say, Michael Tchaikovsky played. That was a, one of the biggest surprises watching that him. Like, oh, my God, he's actually playing? I, I was kind of stunned by that. Uh, it was nice to see him again because, remember, he played a big role, bigger role as a freshman, barely seen this year, going to play a pretty big role next year, you'd figure. It was nice to see him again. Right? I like Michael Tchaikovsky. I, in the back of my mind, I was thinking this could be like that game against Wisconsin where he shut down Frank Kaminsky and something crazy is going to happen. Uh, that obviously didn't happen, but, you know, one can dream, right? Yeah, I'd say so. I think um, 
Chikovsky is really a guy to keep an eye on, especially if Diamond Stone leaves, because essentially this season he was just buried on the depth chart. There's not, there's just not that much room when you have Diamond Stone and Demonte Dodd. You got to give both of them minutes, and Chikovsky was easily the, I don't know, I guess you wouldn't say least experienced, but you knew Stone was going to get a lot of minutes, and it was either going to be Dodd or Chikovsky, and Dodd had the clear upper hand in that situation. So it's expected that he didn't get that many minutes and that when he did get minutes, it was because, you know, both players had foul trouble. But I, I'm encouraged by Tchaikovsky, and I think more he, the more he gets used to the game and the more he almost calms down, because sometimes he, when he gets the ball a lot, it kind of looks like he's panicking. And I think a little bit more just practice of that in, in games is definitely going to help him. I wouldn't say panicking. I'd just say overeager, and maybe he's too excited. That sounds better than panicking. Sure, I, 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 want to be ni- I want to be nice to him. Uh, he's going to play a big role next year. So let's shift away from that game and shift to the season in general. I had a lot of time to think about how I'm going to react to this season and how we're going to think about it now. My goal for this team before the year, and I remember saying it on the preview podcast, was they have to make the Sweet 16. That's the bare minimum. But after that, you don't know who you're going to draw. You don't know where you're going to draw them. And you don't know what kind of form the teams are going to be in when you play them. So you, you really don't know how things are going to play out in that sense. They finally made the Sweet 16. They broke through that glass ceiling that had been above them for 13 years. Yes, they got help by being in a draw with, with South Dakota State and Hawaii and Cal imploding. But they made it to the Sweet 16, and you can't begrudge them for it because once you get to the Sweet 16, you really never know what's going to happen. Just ask Syracuse. So with that said, I think, Alex, you said... This season lies somewhere between a mixture of success and failure. It's in that murky limbo in between. I saw somebody on Twitter describe it as a success, but not an unconditional success. I want you to talk about the way you are going to view this season in the immediate aftermath, because I think the way we think about this team in five years is going to be a lot different than the way we view them right now. Well, I don't know. And I think I wrote just about everything that, that I could say about how I thought it stacked up. Uh, it was a year that could have been a lot better than it was. And uh, it probably could have been worse than it was, too. Um, I think that if Maryland hadn't made the Sweet 16, which is some kind of, you know, at least concrete accomplishment, uh, I think it would have been an unqualified failure. And I think that I agree all, with. I think, I think we have all written some pretty, pretty mean things about it. Um, you know, I'm a person who likes to focus on the process and not the results of something. Um, and so it kind of runs counter to my um, instincts and how I evaluate things to say that the season um, was something of a success just because it, it had a, a sweet 16 birth. Um, but I think that's the right phrase for it, is that it was something of a success. I don't know that I would call it, uh, you know, an unmitigated success or say that it was a season that was what it should have been because – uh, frankly, Maryland didn't level up this year. I mean, you know, the, the best thing you could have hoped for, aside from a Final Four run, would have been that Maryland would have, you know, established itself as one of the preeminent programs in the country and, and really entrenched itself as a team that was back. Um, and not only back, but that had really gone to a height where Maryland basketball hasn't often been, even the year that it won the national championship, where Maryland wasn't generally thought of to be a powerhouse that year, despite some of the good players it had. So, that's where Maryland is. It's in the same spot. You know, they haven't they haven't made that leap. This year was the best chance they'll have in a long time to make that leap, and they didn't do it. And uh, they lost a lot of games, and they looked pretty bad, and they weren't that good. But at the same time, uh, you know, I know that that's a pretty harsh evaluation. But at the same time, they 
they did make a Sweet 16. You know, they do get to hang a banner. Um, and that's something the team hasn't done in 13 years. So you can't, like you said, you can't begrudge them for that. And you can't, uh, can't forget about it either because it's a legitimate thing. All of those things are true, and everything you said I, I agree with to an extent, but I don't, and I'm usually the fatalistic one, but I don't take a necessarily fatalistic view of this team. I think there are teams who had seasons that were unqualified failures. There are plenty of them you can name, and Michigan State. But when you think about this team, yes, there was a lot of hype. But I said before on this podcast that you can't really predict chemistry, and the chemistry for this team was lacking all year. They were missing something. And I finally figured out, after lamenting the loss in the end of the season, I actually figured out what the something was. The something was Deion Wiley, a piece that Maryland didn't have, a player that they needed off the bench, and they never had it. And there's going to be a lot of revisionist history, what if. But the biggest what if question about this season is going to be, what if Maryland had Deion Wiley healthy? I'm still wondering whether this team would have been better. I think it would have been better. I don't know how much better it would have been. But it would have been better, and I would be more in line to think more negatively if Maryland was eliminated in the Sweet 16 and played the way they did without Deion w- uh, with Deion Wiley in the lineup. Check that. Uh, Ryan, am I off base in thinking that? Uh, no, I'd say you're fairly on base. I mean, it seemed like when we got, when the season started that Turgeon was leaning toward starting Wiley. So that's that shows you how big of a loss that he was, and especially after a – I mean, it was really interesting after a freshman season where – Wiley kind of ceded to Jared Nickens at by the end, essentially. Like Nick, Turgeon, Turgeon seemed to like Nickens more than Wiley. But uh, I think Maryland's lack of bench scoring and just lack, like, of like no one, like so many times, no one would be able to drive to the hoop. And I don't know how good Wiley would have been at that necessarily, but it, you know, I guess we'll never know until next season. But um, yeah, I think that's. He's a he's a huge loss that definitely would have definitely would have affected Maryland. Uh, I don't know I don't know how much better they would have been, but I think it's safe to say it would have been technically you know better. Alex, I know you probably aren't interested in revisionist histories like this, but Deion Wiley was going to play a big role for this team before he got injured and was out for the season, and we saw in Spurs last year what he can do. Would he have made this big of a difference? Because I think he would have made a tangible difference on this team in certain games. Now, as I said, I don't know how much of a difference it would have been. I don't know if it would have meant going further in the tournament. Again, hindsight's twenty twenty. We'll never know. And the hindsight's going to get even worse after next season when hopefully Deion Wiley plays and plays well. But yeah. what do you think? Do you think that it would have changed all that much? Because I think there would have been something about this team that would have changed. Uh, I think it might have changed a little bit. I don't think they'd still be playing. Uh, I don't necessarily think that either, but you, but you with him, games, do they, they lose lost. to Minnesota? With him, do they lose some of the games yeah, the way they lose I them? Think, if you look at the games they lost, I mean, they lost, I think, three games that were pretty close. They lost at Michigan by three. They lost at Minnesota by five or six, I think by five. Um, they lost at Purdue by four. And then in the, the Big Ten tournament, they lost to Michigan State by, by a field goal, by, by three. So you look at a couple of games – yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's fair to say that maybe one or two of them would have swung. I don't think Maryland would have been seeded differently in the tournament unless they had beaten Michigan State, which, frankly, Deion Wiley wasn't going to be the guy with the ball in his hands at the end of that game. Um, you know, it, it's, it's always fun to think, you know, if you had this guy, what could have been? I think he would have been a nice piece, but, but no, I don't think that Maryland would have uh, would have been drastically different. I think that they would have... Maryland's still, no, I mean, because Maryland's offense still would have been, would have been a wreck in the half court. Um, maybe. But I, I think Deion Wiley would have added an element that they didn't have. 
whether that would have again demonstrably changed I think things. It would, have added, it would have added one of something they already did have, which was a, a good perimeter defending shooting guard. You can tell, you can blame Mark Turgeon for a lot of things. He likes yeah. players of a certain type. Yeah. Whatever, whatever that was. I think they would have possibly been a four if they hadn't lost to Minnesota. But again, neither you know. I was getting into an argument with somebody after the end of that game on Twitter about that very subject. But bracketology again, hindsight's hindsight's twenty twenty, and many many teams in college basketball seasons end up a failure because they don't win the national championship. Uh, three teams this weekend are going to have their seasons end in failure because they didn't win the national championship, even though one of them did not expect to be there. And I still think people, and people will say their season's a success, but they'll be now annoyed that they couldn't win the national championship. Uh, Syracuse making the final four is still the most inex- one of the most inexplicable tournament runs I've ever seen, but that's neither here nor there. So, Ryan, I never asked you, is this season a success, a failure, somewhere in between? Black and whites aren't a lot of fun to describe. Maryland Twitter likes to overreact to things. Is this season success failure? Where does it fall for you? Uh, that's interesting. I think, you know, you team makes a sweet 16. It's hard to call a season a failure. I think, you know, as everyone else has said, the Maryland just, they still did not live up to the hype this season. They essentially had, you know, I guess the super team might be overstating a little bit, but at the beginning of the season, I mean, ESPN had them number one in the nation. Uh, they, they had, they pretty much were the team with, like, almost all of the best players, which you would think would add up to being the best team. Um, obviously, it's not that simple, and it never is. No. Notice. If, you know, if you notice any, you know, super teams in air I'm going to mention players. one of them right now. It's a soccer reference. You, you Re- go for it. Real Madrid's Galacticos, Claude Makalele, was a very great defensive midfielder. He was sold on the cheap because... Our old friend Florentino Perez doesn't like defensive-minded players. Once he sold him, the team was out of whack. The Galacticos process, where they bought every single big star in the world, eventually failed. And somehow Florentino Perez is doing it again, and it's failing again for the same exact reasons. Super teams and teams with all of the talent don't necessarily win because of chemistry. And actually, thank you, for Ryan, for getting to that. I want to get to that point of chemistry. Alex, I don't know how much we've talked about it on this show. I've talked about it here. I don't know if I've done it with you. But... There was something that was never quite right about the chemistry. It was a lot of, maybe because the players were kind of samey in the way, in their styles and what they did well. They didn't have a slasher at the guard position, etc., etc. Does this come down to just a simple say where you have five incredibly talented players, and they all were the starters, but they just didn't quite fit together? Yeah, to a degree. I think Mark Turgeon has demonstrated over a couple of years now that He's not great at coaching an offense that has two post players on the court at the same time. Uh, they've, I mean, they've never been able to do that. It's just never worked for them. So you have to think about that. Um, and that goes back to, you know, I, I don't think it's coincidence that in the year that Maryland played relatively close to, to small ball pretty often um, a couple of seasons ago with, with Jake Lehman at the four, um, and sometimes going Are you thinking of our freshman year? You know, they did pretty well. And, and I think overall their offensive efficiency wasn't great last year even when they played small ball, but I think that was mostly because Des Wells just took a million shots and didn't make very many of them. And this, to be fair, was Maryland's best offense uh, by efficiency under Mark Trajan by a while. So I don't want to pile on too much. Um, but their spacing and their and their shot creation just wasn't, wasn't great whenever um, their most talented players were on the floor together. And that's a problem. I mean, if you're if the pieces don't exactly fit, then, then it's tough to get the most out of them. 
I, I tend to believe that there was some sort of chemistry issue. It's something along those lines. Ryan, Ryan, what do you think? Because I think of all of the problems, Deion Wiley, Mark Turging not being able to coach an offense, which is something that's been demonstrated before. I didn't say but, Mark Turging. Well, coach some people will say that, not you. I'm not saying you said that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that we, uh, and just quick digression here, a lot of us have commented that Maryland has never developed an offensive plan uh, since Melo Trimble's been here other than set, set screens for him and, and let him go. I think that's somewhat true. Um, on another hand, you know, if, if that's your best player and he's one of the best ball screen guards in the country, then, you know, why do anything else? Uh, so I, you know, these guys who, who coach this team are a little bit smarter than I am, and, and I think they, they probably have a decent idea of what they're doing, but it, it's just an observation that Maryland's offense never got uh, the most out of itself. Plan A is a really good plan, but a lot of coaches struggle to develop plan Bs. That's not something that's exclusive to Mark Turgeon. That's not something exclusive to college basketball. I'm never going to begrudge a I mean, sometimes you can begrudge a coach when there's a plan A never worked, but plan A has worked for Maryland, and there were times this year when it didn't, and that's when the issues started to show up. But, Ryan, do you think chemistry was a bigger issue on this team than some of us have talked about? I think it was a pretty big issue. I tend to think it was the biggest issue on this team rather than – you know, the, the, there are other issues too, but I think it's the greater among equals. Uh, do you agree with that? Uh, yeah. I mean, um, chemistry is always an interesting thing because you don't know how. I don't know when you have partly when you have five such talented players, uh, you know, on the court at the same time. They're all, they're not used to having you know four other guys who are just as good as they are on the court. So I guess yeah, I guess you could say it's chemistry. I don't know. More, I, I'd say more just the scheme and the results weren't as good as you'd think. Like, for example, if Melo Trimble, you know, made a lot of his threes this year, then we could, the offense might have looked a lot better, even though they would have been doing the exact same thing. Um, I thought, personally, they should have probably run, the Diamond Stone Melo Trimble pick and roll seemed to work a lot at points in the season, but they got a, got away from that. Um, yeah, I guess, I don't know. Chemistry is, chemistry is a weird thing to define to me. It is always a weird thing to define, and of course, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result, but anyway, let's move on now to next season, because next season is going to be a very interesting one in College Park. We're going to see a team, a Maryland basketball team under Mark Turgeon that we haven't seen in a while, but a lot of that has to do with the NBA decisions of Mellow Trimble, Robert Carter, and Diamond Stone. There's a long way to go before we're going to know the answer, because now players can declare for the draft but not be bound to go to the draft. They can go to the combine, get a grade. Uh, before they actually have to legally declare and hire an agent, which binds them to the draft for good. Normally, we'd be hearing about these decisions in April, but now we have to wait until May, which means two more months of speculation for us, which is a lot of fun. If they all don't come back, and I tend to think that's not going to happen, I think one of them will. Uh, Alex, looking at what Maryland has next year, it's going to be interesting, to say the least, to see how the pieces fit together. They're going to have a very different backcourt. The front court's also going to look pretty different because Diamond Stone and Jake Lamb and Robert Carter wouldn't be there, but for the, I think there's eight players that are firmly committed to Maryland right now that are going to see time uh, that are either under scholarship or have just committed, so talk about that for a second. Uh, it's really hard to predict. I mean, right now, let's, let's assume for the sake of planning that they all leave, which I tend to agree probably won't, won't be the case, but let's say they all did go, then what you'd have is... Uh, Barring any transfers, because another thing. That's well, I'm, I'm just I'm saying probably, that this is probably a, a, a close to useless exercise. We'll do it for, for the. Yeah, we have to fill time on this that. podcast. Come on. It'll, it'll it'll be Anthony Cowan and Jalen Brantley at point guard, uh, Kevin Herter, Jared Nickens, and Deion Riley at shooting guard. 
Uh, Micah Thomas, the freshman, three-star, recent recruit, um, recent commit at small forward. Uh, at power forward and center, it would be a mix of uh, even Bender, DeMonte Dodd, and Michael Tchaikovsky. And that's, uh, you know, you could remark that that is not a very strong front court, and you could be right. So that's that's going to be something that they'll have to work on. Uh, probably, you know, unless unless both Carter and Stone both come back, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they look for a, a grad transfer forward because they're going to need somebody. I would absolutely agree with that. But I want to now get to the question of who is most likely to return. I think that backcourt could be very interesting even without Melo Trimble. But, Ryan, in terms of who's going to return, I Maryland still, if you look at all the NBA draft projections, has like five players projected to be picked which is great, but not all of them will be picked particularly highly. Of the three that are in this position, I think the one that's most likely to leave is Diamond Stone. My reasoning for that is we know the NBA is transitioning away from big center. Diamond Stone is seven foot. He's a big center, and he's going to get very few chances to make his money. I don't know what he's going to have left to prove in College Park. He definitely has to improve his game, but... I think NBA scouts are still going to drool over somebody who's seven foot and can do the things he's done, especially after his dramatic improvement throughout the season. I still remember the Georgetown game where he was terrible and he was a lot better towards the end of the season. So I think Diamond Stone is still the most likely to leave. Uh, who do you think of the three is most likely to leave? Uh, I would say I would say probably Diamond as well. Um, he, I think personally, he could gain a lot from staying. Just oh, I do too, but I don't in, think in that's going to uh, factor. Defense and especially rebounding, but uh, I he came in. I would, you know, it's very possible he came in really thinking he was going to be one and done, and he's still projected to be a first-round pick, so maybe he goes anyway. Um, and Trimble on Draft Express just went to the second round, so that who knows what, uh, how accurate that'll end up being or what effect that'll have on him, but I think that's certainly interesting. It's really interesting. I think Robert Carter, with the way that his tournament ended, I think that kind of – I thought he was going to be more leaning towards saying this is just me speculating wildly because that's what we do. But I thought before the NCAA tournament that he was probably going to come back. Now, after the tournament, I'm more sure than ever that he's going to come back. Uh, Alex, am I wrong about that, or am I crazy? I'm crazy, obviously, but go along with it. I don't think you're crazy, but I think it's uh, a long way from him deciding to stay. I mean, the thing to remember about Robert Carter is that uh, he's now been in college for four years. And I don't know, uh, you know, we think of these things in a vacuum sometimes. Um, you know, about about Carter, the basketball player. And, oh, great, it sounds great for him to come back as, uh, I believe, approaching a 23-year-old uh, college player, um, which is pretty ancient by current draft prospects. Well, but Barry Ellis uh, played with Mark Turgeon at Kansas. But if he comes back to College Park and, and has a year that's anything less than amazing, and then is 23 years old, and NBA teams think, huh, He's been in a program for five years now, three years at Maryland with, with all of its player development and, and Kyle Tarp coaching uh, coaching strength to get these guys stronger. It doesn't make a lot of sense for a team to to take to, you know to pick him if he doesn't have a good year next year. So he has a lot to lose um, by coming back if he doesn't have an absolutely amazing year that really boosts his stock. So uh, if I were Robert Carter and I got uh, advice that I'd be drafted at all and I'd been in college for four years, I, I would think I would leave without thinking too hard about it. But will he be drafted at all is the question. And that's not necessarily that's, one that we can answer, and I don't know if he's going to. Yeah. And I have no NBA yeah, knowledge on that. See how he does at the, uh, at the, if he gets an invitation to the Combine and, and just how he works out for teams. Yeah, we, it's going to be, well, May. He has to decide that's by good. May. Let's well, get, right. well he, has, no, he has until the 25th uh, of May to make a decision. Yeah. 
about a little bit, a couple weeks more than that to, to work out if he decides to stay in. That's true. So let's let's get to the mellow thing because I think this is the fascinating one. He was first round pick at the start of the year. He's had gone through rough stretches and now end of first, late second maybe for him right now. He's going to be a junior. It's so interesting because we've seen the late bloomers this year in college basketball, namely Buddy Heald, and everybody's drooling over Buddy Heald right now. Uh, NBA scouts are at least if you listen to them. So the mellow thing is very, very interesting. I Again, we're never in the mind of somebody as a college student. We make rash decisions. We've all done it. I have no idea where this one's going to go. And I don't know if it's the most important. It's, it's Mellow Trimble coming back would be amazing. But it's the one I'm least certain about from a pure basketball sense. Not I don't not necessarily from a practical sense, as Alex, you were talking about with, with Robert Carter. But from a basketball sense, it's the one that I have the least amount of clue on. And I could see it. 50-50 either way. What about you? I can see it going either way as well. I, I know that Melo really likes being in college. Uh, I know that he's got people who legitimately uh, very much care about him, giving him advice. Uh, I know that'll include Mark Turgeon, who, who just absolutely adores the kid. Uh, I'm sure I'm sure his mom and, and Joe Wooten, his high school coach. Uh, there are a lot of influences that would probably say stay. He, he didn't have a good year this year by his own standards. Uh, I think he had a much better year than some some will say, but you know he had a worse year than he as a freshman. Um, and I think he really loves being in college and he loves being teammates with with Jared Dickens and Deion Wiley and Caleb Brantley, who are some of his best friends. So he could stay, and I think he likes likes being at school um, in his in his home home area in Prince George's County. But uh, money's money, and and he has to make sure that he's coming out at exactly the right time, whether it's now or then. So he could he could go and. Uh, if he does leave, I really hope that people don't um, begrudge him for it. And, and I have a, a bad feeling about what some of the feedback might be from Maryland fans on Twitter. Um, if he decides to leave, I would certainly hope that it wouldn't go that way. I'm going to resuscitate. I'm going to resuscitate your tweet about Stephon Diggs if Maryland if he does end up going to the NBA draft because he would be that kind of player that Maryland didn't get for a while and then they did get and Maryland fans didn't necessarily appreciate it while he was here. It's, I, it would be the same thing with Stefan Diggs, that if he lit it up in the NBA the way Diggs did in the NFL, whether that happens or not is an open question. I think you'd get the same sort of reaction. Ryan, what do you think about Melo Trimble? What do you think he's going to do? Well, where we're sitting in March. Uh, man. I mean, $64,000 question. It really is. It's I more mean, than I'm that, but you know what I mean. I'm pretty much 50-50 like you guys. I, think, I mean, I think he definitely doesn't know right now because he, Carter, and Stone are all going to get a lot of – information from like all sorts of sources from you know nba guys from all of their close confidants and friends and uh that's i, I don't i really don't know i think he's so 50 50 i think i guess if i did, if i did think right now i think personally he's probably gonna head out and go to the nba but it's really it's it's so unclear it is incredibly unclear and that's my maryland basketball next year is still incredibly unclear but you know what the entirety of the Big Ten is incredibly unclear because have you seen how many players are transferring out of the Big Ten? I think all of Ohio State's freshman class is basically declared to transfer. Am I, I don't know if that's, that's obviously not true, but it feels like it. Uh, the Big Ten next year is going to be weird. I mean, again, it's in March of 2016. We're looking at November. We don't know how transfers are going to play out and all these players declaring for the draft, but Big Ten's going to be weird next year. It's not just going to be Maryland, but I think Alex... Quickly, before we, we start to wrap it up a bit, the way this team's going to play next year, presumably being more light in the front court, 
kind of like how they were in the first early years of Mark Turgeon and then 2014-15. That's going to change the way this team plays dramatically, and it might be for the better. I don't know, but what do you think? I mean, a front court light Mark Turgeon team, how do you think that's going to play out with or without Melo Trimble at this point? It's so hard to say. I mean, they'll, they'll, they'll have to figure I mean, it'll be, you, you would think that it'll be, you know, more more dependent on three-point shooting than they were this year when they were more of a post-oriented team. Um, maybe they'll get back to some of the foul drawing that they did so well uh, two seasons ago now when Melo was a freshman. But, a lot, again, there's so many variables that it's tough. It is definitely tough to say. But I should also mention... While the men's team was doing well, the women's team got eliminated surprisingly by Washington in the second round of the tournament. We might do a reaction podcast to that later on. I mean, I was calling that game and was kind of stunned the way Washington was playing. And then Washington ended up making the Final Four, so Maryland kind of ran into a buzzsaw, which was so it wasn't a great couple of days for Maryland sports. Actually, Alex, I want to get you quickly on some football things. We are, what, two weeks away from spring practice or the spring game? So not that far away. Yeah. Uh, what have you seen briefly in your interactions with DJ Durkin in the early days of his Maryland regime? I think we talked about it briefly before, but what have you seen thus far? Because I'm reading your pieces, there's some interesting things he's saying, and I'm starting to get a little too excited for Maryland football. I've been down that road before, and I shouldn't go down it again. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, they seem like they're pretty excited, and they seem like they're uh, an enthusiastic, energetic group. The players seem pretty happy. They didn't always seem very happy under Randy Etzel, although uh, that was probably a reflection of them mostly losing. Um, and if they lose under DJ Durkin, they probably won't be quite as happy as they are in March when everybody's 0-0 zero and zero, and everybody's got a shot to make the team and play. But uh, they've been, you know, the practices have been pretty fast. They've been pretty loud. Um, you know, they're blasting music the whole time and, and getting along, it seems, pretty well. Um, Perry Hills had a really nice deep throw yesterday, DJ Moore, uh, which was encouraging to see because he hasn't done a lot of that in his career. Drills were still going on. Perry sprints down, you know, 50 yards down the end zone to congratulate him. You know, coaches are yelling at him, get back, uh, you know, get back under center, and he sprints back, takes another snap, and throws another pass. So stuff like that, you know, it's fun. It's not uh, complete, you know, it's not a complete game simulation, even though that was 11 on 11. But they've been, uh, you know, they've been interesting so far. Any player you wanted to stand out? I thought the running back comment you I saw from a couple of days ago was interesting. And for the first time, Maryland might play more running backs than they play quarterbacks, which is going to be nice. Yeah, could be nice. That would be. That's a stunning development in the history of Maryland football because I think in every one of my years at this school, they played more quarterbacks than they played running backs, which is bad. Uh, that's, that shows you where Maryland's college football has been. I think that should be time to end. I actually do want to update the Testudo Times bracket challenge standings. Nick is leading right now with the Alan Parsons bracket. I love that name. That name should win by default because it's amazing. And then we also have Diamond S is not forever with Hayes. He's been around all the time. I think most people's champions are now done because I think a lot of people at Kansas or Michigan State. There are some people who probably had Oklahoma or Villanova. I mean, right now the leader has 88 points. And then you could go right on down the line. I think I'm 111th, which sounds about right, because I'm really bad at this bracket predicting thing. I don't know where you are, Alex, but I don't know if you're doing much better. I would assume you are, because as I said off the top, I, I suck at this. I really don't know. Yeah, I haven't looked. You should look right now. <laughs> don't worry. Don't worry. It's not embarrassing. I'm here to take the fall for you. Ryan, I don't know where you are either. I'm not really interested in going through the list of the many, many participants we have in the pool. We have something like... 400 plus 
in the pool. 474 members, which is amazing. Ryan, where are you? Oh, you know, I actually don't know either. Uh, you need to both look that up immediately. Because you're probably doing better than me. Yeah, I'll look it up after the show once I figure out how to get on my Yahoo account. How do you not know how to do It's an email account. Well, I always forget the password. Don't worry oh, about it. Oh, Jesus. Wept. Anyway, I think that's going to be it for now, unfortunately. Uh, when this podcast resumes in the future, we'll talk more baseball. We'll talk more lacrosse. We'll certainly talk about the decisions for Melo Trimble, Diamond Stone, and Robert Carter when they come up. We'll also talk about the spring game, which I think, Alex, it's in two weeks, right? Am I right? Okay. Yep. So we're getting we're getting close to that. We'll be around. I don't know how often we'll be around, but we'll be around. I promise we'll not have one of those gigantically long hiatuses uh, that we did last summer. And I should also mention Graham Zusi, Maryland Terrapin legend Graham Zusi, scored for the U.S. men's national team last night in a World Cup qualifier against Guatemala that the U.S. had to win. I panicked about that at other websites. You can find me there if you want to do that. But Graham Zussi started uh, and scored because he is amazing, as all Maryland Terrapins are amazing, that come from this Maryland soccer program. So I had to get that in. Uh, thank you, Ryan, for joining us. It's been a while. My pleasure. Oh, didn't know you were going to. Uh, I go to whoever my brain tells me to go to. That means it could sometimes well, be. Well, I am honored. I'm, I know you are. And thank you as well, Alex, for putting up with the technical problems we've had the last couple of weeks recording this podcast and dealing with me yelling about them and having my computer have a spaz attack at the same time. No worries. Uh, I just bought my regalia today for graduation, so. It's getting real, folks. Alex, For Alex and I, it's getting real. And next year, Ryan, it's going to get real. Anyway. Thank you all for listening. We appreciate it. Remember to comment, like, rate, subscribe, SoundCloud and iTunes. Tell us how we're doing. Comment so we can get better at this. I'll hopefully get some of the technical problems fixed. I've said that the last two weeks, but we'll find out soon enough. But of course, go turn.